Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. And she was like, there's 
new cat out here <laughs> next to the already stray cat that they feed, who they've named Barnaby. His name is Barnaby. <laughs> so he's now their cat. Like if they move, he needs to go. I think we'll just we can never move because Barnaby. He will. how would I even get him into a box? To he move doesn't want to go in a he box. He can't be <laughs> So that's cool. So I've been um, stopping myself from getting into this subject because it's so terrible, mm-hmm. but we do need to yeah. get on to this topic. No, yeah, we should get started. I <laughs> I don't know what you're going to talk about, but I think based on your face, it's going to be not fun. Yeah, it's, I, it's not. Our chief opinion officer also told us to be more fun, but I and positive. Won't. On my growing list of things I never wanted to think about is sterilization. Um, Medically, this is defined as the process of rendering an individual incapable of sexual reproduction by castration, vasectomy. Oh my God, I'm just Yes, a fucking hysterectomy (laughs) for some other procedure, like they tie your tubes or they take your tubes out, which is something that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Um, We can't get into all the pieces of this today because so much of it has occurred in modern U.S. history. Not that we won't touch on it, but I just want to dedicate specific episodes to specific subgroups of our population that have been the targets of sterilization, like from the government or from medical personnel. So um, I'm just going to dedicate this today to the Latinx experience of sterilization at the hands of the U.S. government. Okay. So let's talk about Nazis really quick. Oh, fun. Because we're not going to talk about Nazis for very long, but like I think most of us would believe that Nazi doctors did sterilize people in concentration camps. Um, They did this to women and men that they imprisoned and in an effort to like get rid of a population Mm -hmm. and to also like inform scientific tests and medical procedures. Yeah. It occurred at at those camps to nearly 400,000 individuals. Um, And I just want to say that as a benchmark. Yeah. So that's a terrifyingly high number. I did not know that. So the most famous Nazi is Hitler, obviously. And he's actually quoted as saying, there is today one state in which at least weak beginnings towards a better conception of citizenship are noticeable. And then he goes on to say, of course, it is not our model German Republic, but the United States. So he was like praising the United States for their sterilization practices. Oh, okay. And what we never want to be is the subject of praise from a Nazi. Or from Hitler. Yeah, that's, that's, a, pretty, yeah. that's a pretty low point, I would say. It's like not something that we obviously talk about internally as a country, but yeah, I feel like I've most definitely never been educated about this formally. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people haven't like, you know, as you know, and people now know that are listening, I used to teach AP U.S. history was never on there, like nothing at all ever. And we and I worked at a what they would consider like very progressive educational mm-hmm. space. So theoretically it would have come up. Yeah. Yeah. Should have come up. And I consider myself someone who, when I was teaching was always looking for things that I was missing as part of like the quote unquote American experience. And I, this, it didn't even cross my mind, honestly. Mm. And that like speaks to my privilege. Yeah. So let me ask a really uncomfortable question about forced sterilization. 
Cool. In your, <laughs> sorry, um, in your research, is it considered like a hallmark of genocide? Because it feels like it is mm-hmm. if we're talking about Nazis. Yeah, I mean, that's a great connection there. Yeah, it actually, serialization meets the International Criminal Court's definition of genocide. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we know that the U.S. has done this before, but this is like very modern genocide. Like mm-hmm. we're talking... Some of it wasn't outlawed until like 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's also part of the problem is like some states will outlaw something in some states that'll still be happening under the radar because it's not like talked about and or federally outlawed. So mm-hmm. it's like a great, it's a big gray area. Okay. So um, I want to say before I start talking too much about this as my precursor always, um, I am an American (laughs) and I'm like proud of the good we've done and the changes we have made. And I think like Sydney is too. And I always want to say that because I speak very negatively about like what our country has done because I think we are trying to uncover like the truth, right? And everything. And we want to, as a team, you know, ensure that we speak historical truth and then explain the implications of colonialism, racism, and the intersection of those with sexism as they continue to plague our society. So I think you can be proud of something and recognize that it's not all good. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, obviously. And I just uh, based like, on every story we've told yeah. so far. <laughs> so as we should all be aware, um, this is the most recent situation. There has been a formal complaint that was filed with the Department of Homeland Security's Inspector General about unnecessary hysterectomies being performed on undocumented immigrants in custody at the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. So how recent are we talking? This year, so July 2020, I believe. So that's when the complaint was filed? Yeah, from in the Georgia um, Detention Center, yes. Okay. When I started looking into sterilization, it was just like a Pandora's box, honestly. Like yeah. sub, subgroups that I expected to be there because of how the we have treated people historically were definitely there like black women, mm-hmm. black men, right? I knew I was going to uncover that. Yeah. But there's like also the mentally ill, mm-hmm. incarcerated individuals, native women, and young people in foster care in some states were like sterilized. Oof. Okay. So, I just can't get into all of that. And I want to give space to tell like as much as I can about one story because it's just really an ugly historical situation that has implications today. And I want to like pay homage to people who have also worked to make those changes as well. So, so um, back to the situation in Georgia, um, the whistleblower is Don Wooten. And I feel like when this came out, there was general outrage at the start of this investigation, or at least at the start of the like information being publicly known, but it dropped off, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like the shock came from people who had blinders up that we didn't know things like this happened in the U S or were still happening. And then there was the election and COVID just a lot of ways um, to brush this off. Yeah. And I think also people probably have a little bit of like, they want to doubt the reality because it's, so stressful. They should want to doubt it because it's I want to doubt it right now. <laughs> so Don was a nurse working in this ICE detention center. And I want to note that while ICE is present at this center, it's a privately held and operated um, like facility. The control of the facility is not necessarily like ICE agents. Okay. 
So Don's complaint was to the Department of Homeland Security, and it touched on several issues within the center. One that has caught, like, the majority of the attention being unnecessary Mm -hmm. hysterectomies and sterilization. Okay. And performed on women in the detention center. And, like, let's just think about this. Let's pause for a moment. What is the purpose of that? Um, The only thing I can think of is pretty negative and it seems to be like to stop people from to stop people from having children in America if you're trying to like detain people who are here undocumented. Right, that's what I think too. Um so after the complaint several victims came forward and they stated that surgeries or procedures had been done to them without their consent or knowledge and some cited that they had fallopian tubes removed without their knowledge or they weren't told the full extent of the procedure before undergoing it. Still, other women spoke up about how the doctor and staff tried to convince them into signing documents that they couldn't read. Um, One, one, I know. One woman said that she was told she had a cyst on her ovary, and she agreed to a procedure called a DNC. It's a brief surgical procedure in which, like, the cervix is dilated, and a special Mm -hmm. instrument is used to scrape off uterine lining. That sounds really painful. Right. I mean, just on its own, it doesn't sound like a great thing, but... However, she woke up, she's 29 years old, she woke up with only one fallopian tube, and she didn't consent to a procedure to remove that fallopian tube. Yeah. So her lawyer said that she was just sitting in a wheelchair after the operation, and the doctor told her she may not be able to conceive children in the future. Also, we're two people who are 29 with no children, but with, like, plans in Mm -hmm. the future of Mm -hmm. having children, and I can imagine that that's incredibly stressful. Yeah, I think, like, just the idea, I mean, there's so much. It's deeply traumatic, yeah. for sure. I think at least, you know, she has a lawyer, right? Like, she's, mm-hmm. it's just so uncomfortable to think about that these women are detained, undocumented, and now they're having, like, procedures done on them Yeah, that they can't consent to. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just is so ugly. Well, even a doctor trying to talk someone into a procedure they don't want, that's really horrifying. Or they don't need. Other women said that they were told that their life was in danger and that they needed procedures. And it came out afterwards they didn't need it, but obviously that's too late. Um, yeah. And of course, ICE and the facility deny that this happened, but a lack of an organ would say differently. Yeah. It's like it's pretty clear cut whether it's there or not. Mm-hmm. You can't really deny that. So the physician who's the focus of these accusations is Dr. Mahendra Amin, and he is not a board-certified OBGYN. Pardon? He's a physician, but he's not a (laughs) board-certified OBGYN. No, I I definitely heard. I just... Okay. Yeah, I I literally um, was checking up on this before I came here today, and I saw, like, Business Insider was was like reporting that that is he's not board certified that and the board of like OBGYN whatever that is yeah. they're like mm, never heard of her so my understanding <laughs> is like my <laughs> my understanding of like board certification is that you you can practice without it but it's like not recommended and like most people would choose not to go to an uncertified right, physician for sure because they have to take these boards to make sure that they're staying up to date and on like medical procedures yeah so the fact that a detention center hired someone who is not board certified is to, already stressful. Exactly. To perform like mass sterilizations. Yeah. Um, so, But cool. maybe that's all they could get to work there to do that job. Period. 
So Ooh, he conspiracy is, theories. Yes, you know I love a conspiracy theory. Um, as you should. <laughs> so he is described in the complaint as a uterus collector. Mm. Um, Don, who's the uh, woman who filed the complaint, said the staff would talk about him quote taking everyone's stuff out unquote. She also said that everyone he sees has a hysterectomy, just about everyone. And she had several inmates tell her that they've been to see the doctor and they don't know why they went or why they're going, but they had hysterectomies. Can I just pause for one second and say the phrase uterus collector is, oh, Jesus, it's such a bummer. Yeah, it's like the super villain you never wanted in the story, but he's here. (laughs) Can you imagine going to see someone who they call that? Nope. That is already traumatic. Yep. You ain't wrong. I've had a glass of wine, but that made me so uncomfortable that I don't think I can feel my face right now. (laughs) Of course, the details are still coming out. Like lawyers are involved. As I said, nonprofits are stepping in now Mm -hmm. that the information is public. Women detainees have spoken out about being um, referred for such issues as like a thick womb. And it's like overgrowth of cells in a a woman's womb, Mm -hmm. right? which can be treated with medicine, hormone replacement, or hysterectomy if conditions are necessary. Okay. But like women who were who were diagnosed with that by this doctor didn't have any complaints. Mm-hmm. Like they were just told that they had that and you don't treat it unless there's a complaint there. Right. Okay, so if it's like causing them pain or something, you right. might treat it then. Right. Okay. Right. But they were just given hysterectomies and then told like, well, you got one because you have this. Okay situation happening yeah okay um other women were told they needed an ovary removed and then the wrong one would be taken out and then they would have to go back in and take the other one out too which is referred to as like a quote piece by piece sterilization yeah and then another issue altogether is that um the facility does not always use a translator according to these detainees so many operations or procedures could not have been given consent because they cannot read or understand what's being said to them. Also, speaking of Nazis from like back (laughs) a minute ago, there are things that came out of the Nuremberg trials and things like that that speak to informed consent. And so we've known for a hot minute that informed consent is really important. Mm -hmm. And someone not being able to read the paperwork, that's obviously not giving people informed consent. Right. And Amin says that he performed medical procedures with the consent of the detention center. He's not quoted as saying he was given consent by the patients. Okay. Right. Well, that seems like a violation of civil rights for sure. Mm, Yeah. So he also says that he, (laughs) he also says that he only um, performed like one or two hysterectomies in the last two to three years. Okay. However, that's not true. And I can tell you why. We have an investigation by Mm -hmm. Homeland Security and a team of advocates and medical professionals, and they produced a report. Nine board-certified OBGYNs and two nursing experts that are affiliated with academic medical centers Mm -hmm. like Northwestern or Baylor. And then they also have a group of advocates and the legal professionals from Project South, the Georgia Latino Alliance for Human Rights, Georgia Detention Watch, the South Georgia Immigrant Support Network, the Southern Poverty Law Centers, Mm -hmm. Southeast Immigration Freedom Initiative, and the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and the Innovation Law Lab. So, like, people are Mm -hmm. looking at this, and they created a report. They reviewed over 3,000 pages of record, 
for 19 women who have alleged that these things happen, they came forward. So Oof. if it's 19, it's probably, yeah. you know, 900. But anyway, the report looked at the pathology and radiology reports, prescriptions, surgical mm-hmm. impressions, consent forms, sworn declarations, and telephone interviews, and found that the documents support the women's allegations of medical abuse by this doctor. Oh and that just came out one to two months ago. I will say one positive thing. We love an advocacy group. We, do. we love a nonprofit. We do. We love a whistleblower. We love her. She's <laughs> the queen. It sounds like to me that there are lots of people who are looking in on this and yeah. doing their best to like take a stab at fixing this. Yeah. This sounds like some handmaid's tale bullshit. Exactly. But now there is at least a sigh of relief in that it's going to be it's exposed for sure. Yeah, like you can't absolutely. say you didn't do this. Um, there were like docu- pages of documents where the um, consent line had been like unsigned and they're all re- in oh, the report. Wow. So okay. it's like you didn't get consent right. if you have to get a signature. But part of, like part of the silver lining, I guess, is that this stuff has to come out before people can know to do anything about it. That's true. The experts found what they refer to as an alarming pattern in which um, a men subjected women to unwarranted gynecological surgeries, most of which had no consent signature, like I just said. Um, So good luck explaining that, my dog. (laughs) Woof. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. um, he has a lawyer because you get a lawyer when you're accused of, you know, um, genocide. Mm -hmm. And his lawyer is Scott Grubman. And he said in an email to the LA Times that there may be additional medical records that the authors of the report did not have access to, which doesn't make it any better, really, because you uh-huh. already have these other documents. But like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if that's your like best case scenario quote to the press, it doesn't sound good. Yeah, it's not great. Um, but shout out to these women for stepping up and risking everything, oh God, right? Absolutely. To speak up, up with the truth. Shout out to Dawn. I can commit to continuing updates on this as well. Like I'll I'll yeah. put a I have a Google alert set and I wanna know. I'll let you guys know whenever we hear anything. Um yeah, the report was made just a little over a month ago, so we should have some movement one okay. way or another. So this is just the most recent, right? Um in the US, two thirds of states between nineteen oh seven and nineteen thirty seven had laws that allowed for involuntary sterilization. Two-thirds? Mm-hmm. This led to the sterilization of more than 60,000 people. Jesus. Right. So in California, which is, it saddens me because they really stepped up their game in the last episode I talked about them, but <laughs> they really let me down. Like I said, you can have some good things, but not be perfect. Yeah. So California targeted four non-white foreigners from 1907 to 1939. California also had their prisons, which authorized nearly 150 female inmates to be sterilized between 2006 and 2010. And this push for the sterilization was built upon anti-Asian and anti-Mexican prejudice because it was rampant. And it wasn't outlawed, I say forced, but sterilization wasn't outlawed until 2014 in um, California. Oh, 2014, you say? <laughs> yeah, that seems, seems that seems very recent. It, if you said yeah. 1914, I'd be like, yeah, all right, yeah. Well, okay. I think it's it makes us feel when we hear sterilization like this could not like if this has to be like World War right. II. This has to be like when people didn't have TV. Like this yeah. doesn't make sense. But I think what we have to force ourselves to look at is the systems through which like people have been able to 
rid us uh, and like the U.S. of things and types of people that they don't like. So 32 states in the first half of the 20th century participated in the U.S. <laughs> eugenics program. I'm laughing because mm. like that is not good. If you have an official title that uses the word eugenics, just like run. Mm -hmm. You should just run because it's not going to end well for you or the people around you. Just run. And California definitely like led the way. Mm. They passed, um, they followed a law that was passed in 1909 that said anyone committed to a state institution could be sterilized. And that commitment could be court ordered. Uh, I can't say the word ordered. It could be court court ordered. (laughs) (laughs) It could be court ordered. Or a family member could commit people. Of course, these are the practices that we were talking about earlier that targeted poor non-white foreigners. In mm-hmm. California, the anti-Mexican sentiment and thoughts that Mexican-Americans were at a, quote, lower racial level. And I'm only quoting that because it's like in documents. Um, and they were, quote, hyper-fertile and criminally inclined. Like there are documents in which institutions decided for patients that sterilization was required for like a history of emotional stability. And oftentimes those, if they were signed off on by the patient, they were like in English and the patient, like it's noted they can't speak English. Oh, cool. Right. Like you have people sign away their their right to reproduce Mm -hmm. in a language that they don't speak. Perfect. No, that seems fair. So doctors sterilized Latino men, um, 23% more than others in California at this time, and they (laughs) sterilized women at 59% more. They, like, attributed the men to being, like, prone to crime, and then, like, the women were sex delinquents, um, and it's necessary, so they said, to protect the state from increased uh, crime, poverty, and racial degeneracy. So you said that anti-Mexican sentiment was Mm -hmm. on the rise, but were they doing this to just Mexican-Americans or was it other people in the Latinx community? Yeah, no, I think like what we see even now is just like ignorance. People just assume everyone's Mexican. It's just like not the case. But I mean, there's a large Mexican-American population in California, Mm -hmm. but I, I definitely don't think we should exclude any member of like the Latinx community because it was a target of basically anyone who looked like they could be Latinx. Okay. They just falsely attributed right. Mexican-American descendancy to all of them. As they do now. Yeah. <laughs> Certain ways in which people express themselves, other, like the people in power have decided that that is not appropriate, right? Okay. So like culturally things are so different that I believe people attribute that to like outside the norm and thus it needs to be corrected. Okay. Um, there's this lawsuit, Madrigal versus Killigan. Um, in which Mexican and Mexican-American women brought this lawsuit against the L.A. County Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, women in, the, in this class action were given false information, told the sterilization could be reversed, signed consent forms while sedated or manipulated. And then the reason for forcing sterilization was apparently the burden that their future children would have on taxpayers. Okay. So many women that went that are part of this lawsuit didn't even know they were sterilized until they visited another doctor. So they leave the hospital, told that they were receiving something else, go about their lives, maybe months, maybe a year later, they go to another doctor and the doctor's like, When did you have a hysterectomy? And the oh women are God. like, I'm sorry, what happened? When did I do that? So they filed this lawsuit and it went 
before this judge, Judge Curtis, who ruled on the case and held, we don't like him. Just, mm-hmm. He held that it was part of a doctor's practice to provide sterilization to these women based upon their cultural backgrounds. He also said that miscommunication between the doctors and the women, not malice, resulted in these sterilizations. He said one can sympathize with them for their for their inability to communicate clearly, but one can hardly blame the doctors for relying on these indicators of consent, which mm-hmm. appear to be unequivocal on their face and which are in constant use in the medical center. So, okay, if you're a doctor mm-hmm. and you're relying on someone's facial expressions to decide whether you get to take their uterus out or not, I would suggest a reevaluation of your life. Reevaluate what you think is okay. How did the lawsuit go? Yeah. So they lost the lawsuit. Who the, lost? Um, the women who filed against the, the hospital. Um, but they did take this energy and they changed the law to require Spanish translation. Okay. Um, on these documents. They also got the California Department of Health to create a 72-hour waiting period for sterilization. So you have to like be informed, give consent, and then wait 72 hours. Okay. That seems so like a positive good. step, mm-hmm. especially having Spanish translation available seems like a very like, basic duh, thing that you should yeah. already have had. But honestly, hats off to these women for like getting that changed. Yeah. Getting legislation passed and policies and procedures to ensure that this doesn't happen to somebody else, right? I, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, actually a documentary, No Mas Bebes, um, about this okay. lawsuit and these women. And the creators of this documentary spent like a huge amount of time tracking them down, communicating, making sure that they told their story. So I highly recommend it. Um, and we'll share a link to that yeah. as well as to all of the sources that Jess used for this story in our show notes. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in seeing those, check out our show notes. Yeah. Shameless plug. <laughs> um, so now we're going to get into Puerto Rico. The U.S. with control over Puerto Rico decided that the island was facing overpopulation, which was creating social and economic issues. So naturally, they decided that the best way to handle this was La Operación, which um, is sterilization. And I say La Operación because it was so common to be sterilized that they simply referred to it as the operation. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't know this, but the first birth control pill did its trials in Puerto Rico without the knowledge of the women. And like, I don't know, that's a whole separate thing. And I'm going to bring that up on another episode. The list of another episodes for me is like getting really long. But men and women who were active in the fight for reproductive access would in the United States would go to Puerto Rico to test their theories on these women. Okay. Right. Um, so they're like... Without uh, their consent? Well... Could be with their consent, but not full knowledge. Could be sold as something else. Like they would tell okay. them like, oh, this will help you feel better, like on your period. There was a huge issue with employment. So instead of focusing on creating jobs, they decided to control reproduction. Um, There's a campaign in Puerto Rico for mass sterilization but for working women. By the 1930s, many researchers and reports were claiming that overpopulation was to blame for the other issues. And if the population number could be controlled, then the standard of life would rise. And obviously, they support that developed countries would be better and indicates that non-white civilization is what, like, threatens to overwhelm the world. Uh-huh. So the government believed that supporting birth control in Puerto Rico would help, and the federal funds opened 
67 clinics in 1934 in Puerto Rico, and then in 1936, the Private Maternal and Child Health Association opened 23 clinics. And all of these clinics were for, quote unquote, like women's health, but they would push sterilization. The um, government passed a law allowing sterilization to be conducted at the discretion of a eugenics board, and it's Law 116. And this happened in 1937, and this was supported by the U.S. federal government and local industrial employers, like I mentioned earlier, who had money to make from these women if they didn't have to stay home. Mm-hmm. So the employers were like in bed with like pushing sterilization, like La Operación, yeah. to make sure that they had workers for their for their businesses. Oy. So they actually had health workers who would go door to door imploring mothers who had two children to undergo hysterectomies or tubal li- uh, ligations. And nearly one out of five received a free procedure. Many of them were unaware that this was irreversible. Mm. So they kind of sold it like it was a vasectomy. Right. Right. Which are reversible in right. like most cases. So why weren't they doing vasectomies? That is the question. That is the question. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. Do it. Um, The Family Planning Association of Puerto Rico is a private organization, was established in 1954. And this was the subsidized sterilization in private facilities for 8,000 women and 3,000 men in the 50s and 60s. So, like, men can't catch a break either. Don't worry. Yeah. Medical students said in Puerto Rico that if a woman came to give birth after already having two or more children, the policy... Mm-hmm. was to tie her tubes. Like, quote, she must have her tubes tied. Yep, so that's cool. Um, so Law 116 was repealed in 1960. And a survey in 1965 found that one in three of Puerto Rican mothers uh, aged 20 to 49 had been sterilized. One in three? Yep. It's like, Oof. exactly. So this sounds pretty rough. Is there anyone who disagreed with this or came yeah. out to speak out against it? Yeah, so they're actually, Puerto Rico has, like, a real good history, like, a rich history of activism. My favorite person that I have found in that kind of story is Dr. Helen Rodriguez-Trias, who is a Puerto Rican and, like, a New Yorker. And she's the first Latina to ever serve as the president of the American Public Health Association. So, yes, she was fighting against it. One of her most notable quotes on this issue was, women make choices based on alternatives. And there haven't been many alternatives in Puerto Rico. She was a part of founding so many different coalitions and associations to stop this from happening to Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico. Yeah. And then also establish like precedent for not doing it in New York as well to the Puerto Rican community in New York. Hell yeah. Yeah. She's, we love her. I do love her. I'm obsessed with her. So we'll have an episode maybe this Friday yeah. where we talk about a positive episode where we talk about Dr. Helen Rodriguez Trias. Mm-hmm. Obsessed with her. Yeah. We should all be obsessed with her. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So it sounds like I'm going to summarize in a positive. Yeah. No. The positives of this story. It's horrifying, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. But it sounds like there are lawsuits yep. in place mm-hmm. to prosecute people who are perpetuating this. Yeah. It sounds like there are several people who are just like all around badasses who are like speaking out against this. It sounds like there are a lot of nonprofits who are in on ending this kind of racial discrimination. Yeah. And I know that this episode is a bummer, but I think what we can really go forward with is like on this investigation, when it all started, like 
going back to what we first talked about in Georgia, there were calls, you know, they're always like elected officials, quote unquote, calling for an investigation. Call your senator. If you live in a state where there are these detention centers, like call your representative, call your elected officials Mm -hmm. and ask them, what are you doing to help end forced sterilizations? What are you doing to um, be a part of Mm -hmm. positive change? There are things that we can do as citizens to like, hold people accountable in positions of power. Every single elected official at the federal level should have something to say about this because it is Americans Mm -hmm. and the families of Americans who have underwent this or who have been exposed to this. And it's unacceptable. Yeah. And I'm really, I feel really positive that like moving forward, just look out for each other because that's where all of this starts, right? Like a whistleblower who exactly done uh, looking out for Latinx women. Yeah, like to to risk everything because something, and that's just like exactly what you said. Yeah. Like that's the story. That's in itself. Like you, it doesn't have to be you to have you change it. Like yeah. it doesn't need to be directly connected to you. So shout out to Don, love you, XOXO, gossip girl. <laughs> So speaking of badass Latinx women, um, we want to send a shout out to the two people who suggested this topic for us. The one who suggested it for me is my dear friend, Elizabeth Villarreal, who is awesome and um, sent me a few articles on this. Yeah. And um, separately and unrelated, which is like kind of cool. Uh, my One of my friends, Jessica Pinaranda. She's the national president of the Multicultural Greek Council and like a just like I'm a, a woman to aspire to be, honestly. She sent me this as a talk, topic recommendation as well. Yeah. So that's cool. So we love a listener right in. If you have any recommendations for episode topics that you want us to cover, mm-hmm. um, send them to malpracticepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to learn more about what's going on um, in the trial that's happening now or any of the topics that Jess covered today, like I said, view our show notes where we're going to link to all these different um, resources that we use to put the story together. And I'll post um, updates on the current situation in Georgia as I get them on our Instagram. Yeah. So we'll keep you updated. Make it topical. Yeah. We'll post a mini episode on Friday. Where a mini? What is it? Mini sode. Mini sode. Cute. We're gonna post a mini sode on Friday. A mini, a little baby episode <laughs> where we talk about um, Dr. Helen Rodriguez Trias, um, the Puerto Rican doctor who's doing all this really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So check it out. So check us out. Yeah. <laughs>